Today on the Matt Wall Show, why did the city of New Orleans put a giant two-story tall hair pick right outside City Hall to honor Juneteenth? We'll discuss. Also, the Washington Post profiles a young mother of twins in an effort to prove why abortion is good and necessary, but they accidentally prove the opposite. Feminist Megan Rapinoe has a message for female athletes. Stop complaining and just let males take over your sport. Your sport. Uh, that's girl power for you, I guess now. Plus, the airline industry comes up with a new and horrifying way to make your flying experience even more miserable. In our daily cancellation, US, UC Irvine comes up with a new inclusive spelling of the word woman, but then worries that it's not inclusive enough. Story so insane that you'll think I'm making it up, but I assure you, I am not. We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Well, you know, as inflation continues, it's important to keep your budget and financial goals top of mind. Um, Think about the things you can do today that come out ahead. Like, for example, refinancing your mortgage. If it's not on your to-do list, it should be because you might be able to consolidate high-interest debt into your home loan, which can offer hundreds of dollars worth of monthly savings. And I know just the people to help. It's American Financing. They're a family-owned mortgage lender that's known for its custom home loans and its no-pressure approach to lending. Uh, They pride themselves in doing whatever it takes to set you up for financial success. They can help you save up to $1,000 a month plus tens of thousands long-term, and we could all use the savings these days. This may be an area of savings you haven't thought about, but uh, you really should. Why not learn more? All you got to do is call American uh, Financing. You can get a free, no-obligation mortgage review right now. And if you start soon, you could close in as little as 10 days, and that means the savings kick in right away. So call 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711. Or visit AmericanFinancing.net, NMLS, 8182334, NMLSConsumerAccess.org. Well, the results of a recent Gallup survey come as no surprise. According to the polling company, belief in God has ebbed to its lowest level on record in the United States. 81% now say they believe in God. This is down from what would have been close to 100% in the mid-20th century and any time before that. It's also down from the 87% who believed in God only five years ago. But the biggest shift can be seen in the youngest generation survey, Generation TikTok, with only 68% affirming the existence of any sort of higher power. Now, if you break this down even further, as many surveys have, and you investigate how many Americans identify themselves as traditionally religious, apart from simply believing in God, the numbers are even lower. In 2020, American church membership dipped below majority for the first time, with 47% saying that they were members of a church. That number was 70% in 1999. Now, these figures are significant, historically so, and they tell us quite a lot. But here's what they don't tell us, that Americans have no religion. Membership in and identification with traditional theistic religions may be declining precipitously, but there is something coming in to take its place. America, in fact, is still a deeply religious country, always has been, is now, probably always will be. It's just that a different religion, a twisted, shallow, perverse, and destructive one, has achieved cultural and institutional dominance. In fact, far from being an irreligious or secular country, we're actually living in a theocracy of sorts right now. But our theocratic dictators belong to the religion of leftism. Now, like any religion, this one has its own holy days of obligation. We're living through, of course, its most sacred observance of Pride Month. Competing with it for attention is the leftist religious holiday that just passed, which was Juneteenth, which fell on Sunday and then was observed uh, as a federal holiday on Monday. Supposedly, the day is meant to commemorate the abolition of slavery and to celebrate freedom, a worthy thing to celebrate, no doubt. 
But that's not really the intention of those who advocate for this version of the holiday. Neither was it the intention of Joe Biden when he made it a federal, federal holiday last year. Now, let's recall that a year before that, on the campaign trail, so in 2020, a year before making it a federal holiday, Biden didn't even know what Juneteenth was. Let's watch this again. He's going down at Texas on Juneteenth, right? The first major massacre, literally speaking, of the uh, Black Wall Street, right? Years ago. He's going to have a rally. Kind of a rally. And he doesn't wear a mask. And he doesn't think he's, I mean, come on. You know, he's so unsure of himself. He keeps saying, right? That's what, right? This is the right thing. No, wrong. That's not, that's not what Juneteenth is. But of course, you know, and this, this is actually the, um, the evolution of Juneteenth and the reason why it became a thing is partly the BLM riots, but even more than that, it was because uh, uh, Donald Trump was doing a rally on June 19th, and uh, someone in the media pointed out that, oh, you know, that's Juneteenth, and then everyone in the country pretended they knew what it was so that they could blame Trump for doing something offensive for some reason by having a rally on Juneteenth. And it was at that moment that the left decided, oh, this this is a thing now. We're going to make this a thing nationwide. Twelve months after that, uh, Biden, who had never even heard of it, but now, uh, 12 months later, decided that it was so deeply meaningful that it needs, needed to be federally recognized. During his remarks for the signing of the Juneteenth National Independence Day Act, Biden said that Juneteenth is a, quote, day in which we remember the moral stain, the terrible toll that slavery took on the country and continues to take, and that we must, quote, learn from our history and celebrate progress and grapple with the distance we've come, but the distance we have to travel. So Juneteenth is not so much a celebration of freedom as it is an opportunity to reflect on the moral stain somehow shared by people who had nothing to do with slavery at all. And it's also a time to dwell on the supposed systemic injustices still visited upon black people by white people. White guilt is the original sin of the leftist religion. It's really the only sin, as every other sin they recognized always ties back to whiteness, quote unquote. Juneteenth then becomes like maybe their version of Good Friday, uh, a day of atonement. And that is why the media marked Juneteenth this year with talk of reparations. Time Magazine headline, Juneteenth is now a national holiday. Are reparations next? Many similar headlines were published claiming that reparations must come next. It's the natural next step after Juneteenth. Representative Sheila Jackson Lee attended a worship service at a church in Houston for Juneteenth, where she called for exactly that, reparations. Listen. As the pastor said, it is time for the commission to study slavery and develop reparation proposals so that we can heal the land and heal the nation. I expect that there will be, as it is understood, no snatching from someone else. No one is going to knock on your door and snatch something that you have. But the nation will acknowledge and be able to respond to the challenge of, this is Bostic, that we all should learn, we all should read, we all should have an equal opportunity education and health care. That's what we want, the nation to respond. The systemic treatment that has come, that has caused a divide. There will be no snatching, she says. Uh, we're not going to snatch anything. She perhaps hasn't noticed that there's quite a lot of snatching going on in our cities right now. A lot was happening during the BLM riots. 
And uh, that snatching was explicitly justified as an act of reparations. Although she did say, nobody's going to knock on your door and snatch something. So maybe that's that's the technicality here, is that uh, generally when they do the snatching and the looting, they don't knock on the door first. They just walk in. So I guess in a way she's right. But that wasn't enough. The reparations of looting wasn't enough because in the religion of leftism, nothing is ever actually enough to wash away the white guilt and heal the racial wounds. So now the nation must respond by giving more free things to people like Sheila Jackson Lee, who was never enslaved and yet demands payment for sins committed by long dead people against other long dead people. This makes no sense until you understand it properly as a religious claim. That's why there's no hint of patriotism in the Juneteenth celebrations. Um, not patriotism for, you know, America at any rate. The flags that adorned the Juneteenth Google Doodle were not American flags, but Pan-African flags. And those, in fact, are the flags you see flying for every Juneteenth celebration. This is the flag that, that students in at least one school were forced to swear their allegiance to um, in honor of Juneteenth. Watch this. Now, whatever a holiday actually celebrating freedom and emancipation could be, and it could be a wonderful wonderful thing. Actually, we know that because we already have one. It's called July 4th, um, and that's wonderful. That's a, that's a true patriotic celebration. But whatever else it could be, it's not this. That's not what Juneteenth, as it has been established now, is about. The spirit of Juneteenth is best sum- summarized by um, Melina Abdullah, who's professor of Pan-African Studies at Cal State in L.A., And she tweeted this, attention white people, please don't ask if you can come to the cookout. Juneteenth is Freedom Day for black folks. It should be Reparations Day for white folks. Right. Racial division, hierarchy. This is an important aspect of a leftist religion. Not a day for everyone, she says. Certainly not a time for everyone to join in the festivities. You leprous white people must stay hidden away, wallowing in your guilt while superior races of people can just party on without you. The most crucial thing to remember about this religion is that it is fully by design, destructive, and ugly. The religions that it supplants tend to strive for joy and beauty, but not the religion of leftism, which is why it prowls the country looking for beautiful, priceless monuments and statues and works of art to topple, and then replaces them with nothing, or else, even worse, replaces them with something so hideous and absurd as to seem like some kind of practical joke. Now, that was the case down in New Orleans, where the statue of John McDonough was torn down in 2020 and finally replaced this weekend by, I'm not kidding or making this up, a statue of a gigantic two-story hair pick. Again, not a joke. You can see it for yourself. At least not an intentional joke anyway. Nor is this meant to be a tribute to uh, Spaceballs, as many people thought maybe it was. It's not even that. The mayor of New Orleans on Saturday proudly unveiled a 25-foot-tall steel Afro pick with a black power fist at the top. Perhaps now that they're 
making monuments out of random toiletry items. Next, we'll get a 50-foot-high can of uh, right guard aerosol deodorant. Maybe Eric Adams in New York will consider replacing the Statue of Liberty with uh, like a giant toothbrush. At least that would promote dental hygiene. I'm not sure what the hell this gargantuan Afro pick is supposed to represent or promote. Now, I say that rhetorically, of course. I know what it represents. It represents the hideous emptiness at the core of the leftist religion. They can tear down and destroy and destabilize, but when it comes time to build something of their own, this is what they come up with. Okay, They, they have no actual ideas about anything. They just know what they hate. They don't know what they love. They don't know what they want. They're not building beautiful, masterfully made monuments to more, politi- more politically acceptable historical figures. That's not what's happening. And that's partly because at this point, there really are no politically acceptable historical figures. Maybe somebody like um, Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass might seem like safe choices. But we can be relatively certain that um, even those historical figures would have had some pretty problematic views about some things. Say about like homosexuality or transgenderism, if anybody ever asked them. So the left, they, they have no heroes to champion, except maybe George Floyd, Karl Marx, those are two guys. But more than that, the reason they don't replace a beautiful statue with a different but equally beautiful statue is that beauty is one of the things they seek to destroy. This is what happens when you make a religion out of nihilism. Everything becomes ugly. It's also no coincidence that the pride flag, which was gaudy and ridiculous looking to begin with, has just gotten uglier and uglier as each, with each successive pride month. A religion out of nihilism, out of ugliness, out of self-worship and narcissism. A religion out of your most base and shallow and degraded impulses. When you do that, you end up with a decaying culture, child drag queens, racial animosity turned into a holiday, And you also end up with some things that maybe you wouldn't expect, like um, giant hair products outside of City Hall. But all of this is part of the religion. Now let's get to our five headlines. Life happens fast, and it can end even faster. Uh, You might picture yourself living to a ripe old age, but it doesn't always work out that way. And if it doesn't, You're going to want to have a plan in place. Otherwise, the state, people you hate, the people who are trying to indoctrinate your kids, take your guns, steal your freedom, they're going to step in and take control of your assets when you're gone. Uh, They're going to determine what legacy you leave behind. So don't let the state decide what happens to your children should something happen to you. And that could happen at any moment. Instead, take five minutes and set up a will through Epic Will starting at just $119. You choose who raises your kids and you choose who gets all of your useless, dumb crap after you're gone. Here's what I want to do. Um, Here's what I want you to do, rather. Go to epicwill.com and use promo code Walsh. You'll get a 10% discount on Epic Will's complete will package that, yes, can take only five minutes to set up. Many of our families at Daily Wire are now protected thanks to Epic Will. Why don't you do the same? Just go to epicwill.com. It's very simple. Enter promo code Walsh and do something for you and your family today. So I want to start with this. We have here an article from the Washington Post written by Caroline Kitchener um, that really lays the pro-abortion position to bear, I think. There's no dancing around the subject here. Not really, anyway. Abortion kills babies, and uh, that's a good thing, according to pro-aborts, because babies are bad. And that's, that's the position laid out in this Washington Post piece through the profile of a young mother of twins. And the headline is, 
This Texas teen wanted an abortion. She now has twins. And accompanying the headline is a picture of, um, as you can see, two adorable little twin babies. And we're supposed to, to see this picture and immediately think how sad it is that those babies exist and are alive rather than dead and dismembered and rotting away somewhere. This is an actual headline in the Washington Post with pictures of, of little twin babies that says, well, now look what you did, pro-lifers. Now these babies exist. Um, that's what Caroline Kitchener of the Washington Post wants us to think anyway when we see infant babies. So let's get to the article. It doesn't get any better in the article itself. Um, so reading through a little bit of this, she says, um, she writes, Brooke Alexander turned off her breast pump at 6.04 p.m. and brought two fresh bottles of milk over to the bed where her three-month-old twins lay flat on their backs, red face and crying. Running on four hours of sleep, the 18-year-old tried to feed both babies at once, holding Kendall in her arms while she tried to get Olivia to feed herself, her bottle propped up by a pillow. But the bottle kept slipping and the babies kept wailing. And Brooke's boyfriend, Billy High, wouldn't be home for another five hours. Please, fussy girl, Brooke whispered. She peeked outside the room, just big enough for a full-size mattress, and realized she had, she had barely seen the sun all day. The windows were covered by blankets, pinned up with thumbtacks to keep the room cool. Brooke rarely ventured into the rest of the house. Billy's dad had taken them in when um, her mom kicked them out, and she didn't want to get in his way. Brooke found out she was pregnant late on the night of August 29th, two days before the Texas Heartbeat Act, uh, Heartbeat Act banned abortions once an ultrasound could detect cardiac activity around six weeks of pregnancy. It was the most restrictive abortion law to take effect in the United States in nearly 50 years. Now, if you're pro-life, meaning that you, you love and appreciate life, and you think life is a good thing, right, then you, you hear the first part of this, this profile, and you might think that this will turn into a story of like a young mother who was prevented from, from killing her two children, and though she now has financial hardship, she also is experiencing the beauty of motherhood, and, um, and of her children, and she's grateful to have them, and she's learning to embrace this new and unexpected reality of motherhood, and like that's, that's all a, a, good, a good thing, you know? That's the way you, you might see this as a pro-lifer. But this story is coming to us from a death-worshipping nihilist, so it kind of takes another direction. And it continues. Texas offers a glimpse of what much of the country would face if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade this summer, as has been widely expected. If the landmark precedent falls, roughly half the states in the country are expected to dramatically restrict abortion or ban it altogether, creating vast abortion deserts that will push many into parenthood. Sometimes Brooke imagined her life if she hadn't gotten pregnant, and if Texas hadn't banned abortion just days after she decided that she wanted one. She would have been in school, rushing from class to her shift at Texas Roadhouse, eyes on a real estate license that would finally get her out of Corpus Christi. She pictured an apartment in Austin, enough money to trip for a trip to Hawaii, where she would swim with dolphins in water so clear she could see her toes. Now from there, we're told the whole story um, of how she got pregnant, then tried to get in for an abortion before the law took effect, but she couldn't. So then she went for an ultrasound. She was hoping the baby wouldn't have a heartbeat, but then it turned out that uh, the baby did, and in fact, there were two of them, so now she has two daughters. And then we get passages like this. If it wasn't for the Texas law, Brooke knew she might not be standing here. She'd probably be studying for her next exam while Billy mastered some new trick on the quarter pipe. She liked to think that they'd still be together, spending their money on movie tickets and Whataburger instead of diapers and baby wipes. Now, 
Of course, the, the life of a mother of two beautiful children is far more meaningful and interesting and important than just like hanging out at a fast food restaurant. So it almost seems like this is supposed to be a pro-life story, right? Especially when we're told, actually, later on in the, in the article, and it goes on for quite a while, we're told that, um, that Brooke married the father of her, her children. So she, she did the right thing. She married the father, and they formed a nuclear family, and that she loves her babies, and she's, she's happy to have them now. And we're also told that she doesn't want to think about what would have happened without the Texas law because she knows that they probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that law. Okay, and all of that is in the article, and yet the writer makes her feelings known in the headline. And also by the fact that she's an abortion reporter for the Washington Post, and she's not shy about her pro-abortion radicalism. She retweets uh, Planned Parenthood all the time, so she's an advocate for abortion. And yet, it just kind of goes to show that even when writing this profile, again, the, the writer, Caroline Kitchener, made her intentions clear. This is supposed to be a sad story about a woman whose life was destroyed by the presence of two beautiful uh, babies. And yet, you read through the entire article, and you, you're kind of left thinking, well, but is this supposed to be pro-life? Because... It, it's, it sounds like, you know, this pregnancy was an unexpected turn and she didn't want the pregnancy at first, but now she has the babies and she's grateful to have them and she's living a more meaningful life. And yeah, there are more challenges now, but she's, she has resolve and she's getting past it. And so that's, that's a positive thing, right? And now these two uh, beautiful babies are, are living, whereas before they, they, whereas they wouldn't have been living before. And it shows that really any honest discussion of the issue ends up sounding pro-life, even if it isn't supposed to be. If you're just honest and you, t- and you tell a story, and it's, even if it's, we're supposed to take a pro-abortion message away from it, we don't. Because that's where honesty on the subject of abortion always points to the pro-life message. And that's especially the case with this article here. All right, this is from CNN. Uh, Jennifer Lopez and her child M. Maribel Munez, 14, are being praised for a recent duet, but not because of the music. The pair took the stage recently at the L.A. Dodgers Blue Diamond Gala. Uh, Lopez introduced M. using the gender-neutral pronouns they and them. Uh, Lopez said in a video, The last time we performed together was in a big stadium like this, and I ask them to sing with me all the time, and they won't. So this is a very special occasion. They are very, very busy and pricey. They cost me when they come out, but they're worth every single penny because they're my favorite duet partner of all time. She's talking about her child this whole time with the they, her her individual. These are not twins. This is just one person. So Jennifer Lopez is the latest uh, celebrity with a a non-binary child. All the celebrities have non-binary children now. They used to be adopting, uh, you know, the, the trend among celebrities used to be uh, that they would all adopt Chinese babies as a fashion statement, and now they're all transing their own kids as fashion statements. But it is, it's so transparent um, what, what's, what they're doing, that this becomes a trend, and then what do you know, the trendsetters in Hollywood, they all discover <laughs> magically that they happen to have non-binary and trans kids. How do you explain that scientifically? 
If this is all a natural scientific phenomenon, you know, none of this is social contagion, none of this, this is not a trend at all. Oh, nobody would choose to be trans. Nobody would choose to be non-binary. Nobody would choose this for their kid. That's not happening. Well, then, then why is it so common? Why is it every celebrity now has a kid like this? Is there something in the, in the water in California? Makes no sense at all, except as this is a fashion statement, and these are people who parade their kids around as fashion accessories. And uh, it's really as simple as that. On a similar topic, this is from the Daily Wire. It says, soccer superstar and political activist Megan Rapinoe argued in an interview published Sunday that female athletes and their parents need to suck it up over advantages biologically male transgender athletes might have over girls. Now, keep in mind, Megan Rapinoe, a couple things to keep in mind about her. Uh, First of all, she's a viscerally repulsive, uh, unlikable person. So that's the first thing. Also, she's supposed to be a feminist hero and champion. She's supposed to be a champion for uh, women's rights and all the girl power stuff. So remember that as we read through here. And also remember that the, um, and I, I, every, every time we read anything about Megan Rapinoe, I always have to remind you because it's so great, that the women's um, Olympic soccer team, the women's world champion soccer team, lost to a group of 15-year-old boys in a scrimmage a few years ago. So if... Um, if, if men were to fully invade women's soccer, uh, Megan Rapinoe and um, all of her teammates, they would all be out on their asses. There, there would be no place for any of them because they would be totally dominated. As they were totally dominated by just by adolescent uh, kids. In spite of that, we continue. The um, soccer star told Time Magazine she is 100% supportive of trans inclusion in girl sports, dismissing concerns about fairness while emphasizing that people need to understand that sports is not the most important thing in life. Uh, Rapinoe also argued that high-level sports are all about regulation, which the athlete apparently believes can erase trans athletes' advantages. Quote, I would also encourage everyone out there who is afraid someone's going to have an unfair advantage over their kid to really take a step back and think what we're actually talking about here. We're talking about people's lives. I'm sorry your kid's high school volleyball team just isn't that important. And I think people also need to understand that sports is not the most important thing in life, right? Life is the most important thing in life. We're talking about kids. We're talking about people's lives. We're talking about the entire state government coming down on one child in some states, three children in some states. This, of course, uh, as you might expect, makes no sense at all. If it's just sports and sports aren't that important, and it's just a volleyball team, as she says, then why can't we say that to the quote-unquote trans kid? The male who's identifying as a female. Uh, so what you're saying is it's just sports. Okay, let me, let me try to work through this here. It's just sports. Let's take the volleyball example, okay, hypothetically. It's just volleyball. It's just, your, it's just a volleyball. Who cares? And yet, if a male who identifies as a female is not allowed to compete against the females in this volleyball team that's just a volleyball team and it's just sports, that will be a threat to his life. His life depends on being able to compete against female volleyball players. And yet it's just a sport and it doesn't matter. Does that make any sense at all? Why can't we flip this around? Is my question. 
So Megan Rapinoe, the feminist girl power champion, is saying to female athletes, ah, it's just, it's just sports, who cares? You get your opportunities stolen. Uh, get over it. Okay, it's, it's really not that important. Why can't we say that to the trans person? The trans, the trans person says, oh, I really want to compete against females. Well, it's just, it's just sports, who cares? Get, get over it. My life depends on it. No, your life doesn't depend on it, actually. You'll be fine. Go compete against the men. I don't want to compete against the men. Okay, then don't. Then don't compete against anybody. It's just sports. So we're not taking your life from you. We're not killing you. We're just saying you can't compete against women because you're not one. Oh, my feelings are hurt. Well, then get over it. Your feelings aren't that important. So you can say that to every girl on the team. You can say to them, your feelings just aren't that important. Sorry. And if they start complaining about it, you can laugh in their face. So why can't we do that to the trans people then? That's what you're doing to the women. Why can't, we, why can't I do that to them? Because in that, in that case, I think it's much more appropriate. Um, when, when you've got one person trying to make, making a claim and trying to impose themselves on a whole group of people and intrude in a place where they don't belong, you know, and, and we have both groups now, and one group is an entire group, and the other group is just one person. But both groups are saying that their feelings will be hurt, among other things, if, uh, if, if the other person gets their way. We have to turn to one group or the other and say, your feelings just aren't that important here. That's not the primary concern here. One group or the other, we have to say that to. One group or the other has to get the hard message. So are we going to say to all the girls, your feelings don't matter, or are we going to say that to that one guy? I am more than happy to say it to the one guy. Your feelings just aren't that important here. It's not the most important thing. In fact, um, fairness is more important. Preserving female sports in the integrity of female sports is, is more important than your feelings. But more important than all of that is, is simply the truth, the basic truth. That's the most important thing of all. And your feelings are not more important than the truth. They're not more important. Nobody's feelings are more important than the truth. And of course, everything that I'm saying right now is seen as horrifically cruel and transphobic. And Media Matters is going to take it and they're going to clip it and put it on, on, um, on Twitter, which is fine. But if I was saying all of this about all the girl athletes in the country, get over it, your feelings don't matter, just, just, just stop whining. Nobody, that would be fine. That would be a perfectly acceptable message. That's what doesn't make any sense. All right, we have another moment of uh, lucidity from Kamala Harris here talking to Joy Reid. And I want you to listen, when, when you're listening to this, listen for something in particular. Keep in mind as you listen that Kamala Harris never knows what the next word she's going to say will be until she says it. Okay, so when she's speaking, you can, and you can hear it in her voice, you can see it in the blank look in her eyes, the kind of almost panicked look she gives every time she's asked any question at all. She, never, she says a word, and she doesn't know what the next word's going to be, and she doesn't know where the sentence is going to end until it ends. And once you realize that, it all starts to make sense. Let's listen. We all sat and watched the Kataji Brown-Jackson uh, hearings uh, in which she 
very calmly um, sat through what yeah. I think a lot of, particularly black women, let's just be honest, felt was brazen disrespect from senators like Lindsey Graham, senators like Tom Cotton, senators like Josh Hawley. Mm -hmm. What did you think when you watched that hearing? I will tell you, Joy, I experienced great joy when I watched this brilliant, phenomenal black woman, jurist, be so smart and just cut through the political gamesmanship that they were attempting to incite. And she just was composed. And as far as I'm concerned, was taking a whole lot of people to school. And I watched that with incredible joy because it was just brilliance being displayed for the entire country to see. And I cannot wait to see, I, it, that will only be matched by the joy that I experience when I see her take the oath to be the next justice on the United States Supreme Court. You, I told you, she has no idea what she's going to say, what the next word is going to be. When I was a kid, I don't know if other people played this game. I don't know if we invented this game or not. But when I was a kid, we used to play this game, uh, me and my siblings, in, uh, in the car on, on long car trips. And I'm sure it tortured my parents. But, and the game was that you know, one, one person would say a word, and then the next person had to say a word. And one by one, you'd build a sentence. But the goal was that you, you couldn't be the one to end the sentence. So your word had to make sense in the context as it's being built, but you had to keep extending the sentence. That was the game. We were a bunch of nerds. These are the kinds of games we played. And that's basically what Kamala Harris is doing with herself in her own brain every time she speaks. You can see it there. I will tell you, I experience great joy when I watch this brilliant black woman jurist. She keeps, there's a question. You know, there's also a question mark at the end of every word she says. It's amazing. And this is, is going to be their hope in 2024, is what you just saw there. Or maybe not. Uh, we have this from the Daily Wire. It says, a new poll revealed that the majority of the American public wants a fresh face in the Oval Office and not a recycling of President Biden or former President Trump. Biden will be uh, two weeks shy of 82 years old by the time of the November 2024 elections. Trump will be 78 years old. A June 10th Yahoo poll found a whopping 64% of respondents felt Biden should not run for re-election in 2024. Only 21% thought that he should run again, while 15% could not decide which side to take, of course. Across the board, it uh, did not matter whom the poll surveyed. All groups wound up with roughly the same percentages of respondents agreeing Biden should not run. 66% of women, 62% of men, 65% of those ages, 18 to 29. I mean, this is just a total disaster for the Democrats. Um, the only group that was somewhat less hostile to Biden running again were African-American respondents, among whom 49% thought that he should not run. Um, and, uh, let's see, again, it says the, uh, the Yahoo, uh, YouGov poll found that 55% of respondents felt Trump. So here's the Trump numbers. 55% of respondents felt Trump, Trump should not run for reelection in 2024, 
31% thought that he should run again, while 14% could not decide which uh, side to take. I don't. I never understand that. I don't know people, and why do you even bother? Two things. Two categories. I don't understand the people that actually take these polls. I don't understand it. But then the people who take them and then just say, "I don't know." Hey, we want to survey you about this. Okay, sure. And then every single question you ask is like, "I don't know." Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to take this survey, but I have no opinions about anything. But I'll still take your survey. So by, uh, Trump fares a little bit better, but not much better. Fifty-five percent say they don't want him to run for re-election, and uh, this is because you know it, it turns out that. There are a lot of people in the country. This is a country with a population of 330 million, not counting all the illegals, who maybe we're getting to a point where even they'll be able to run, be able to run for, for election. And so there are a lot of people, and uh, it's just really hard for me to believe that the only and best qualified candidates are in their late 70s and early 80s. Okay, that that can't be the case. It, if that's the case, then we are we're just doomed. We we might as well not have any more presidential elections. We might just just close up shop. There's no hope for us. If it's actually the case that the two best potential candidates are respectively 78 years old and 82 years old, and there's nobody younger than that who should have a chance, then we're we're done. I mean, the baby boomer generation, they have been hanging on to the reins of power desperately for decades, and they won't let go. And I guess they would tell us that's because uh, nobody younger is qualified, which means that they've failed as a generation to raise the next generation. That's one of your most basic uh, duties as a generation is to raise up the next generation. So you're saying you've totally failed in that regard? But if that's true, then there's just, there's simply no, no point, no hope at all. Uh, but I'm not quite willing to accept that yet. I, I think that there are some people shy of, sev- of, say, their 70th birthday who maybe should get a shot at this thing. I don't know. Just a thought. All right, here's from the New York Post. It says, delays, canceled flights, and being stuck in the middle seat may no longer be people's biggest air travel concerns. A new possibility awaits. Double-decker-style airplane seats for coach. Um, Just like the bus, one row is above another with the top level reached by the stairs. You can see the picture there. Okay, this is what they're talking about. The designer Alejandro Nunez Vincente has come up with this plan, and uh, I guess he's pitching this to airlines. And so this is, they call this double-decker. Now, you think of a double-decker plane, and they used to have those. You know, like back in the, the early days of commercial airline, they had double-decker planes, they had these huge planes. But no, this is not really double-decker. These are um, on the same level of the plane, <clears throat> but you, it, you know, you're, you would, if you're on the lower level, your face would be directly up against somebody's rear end, basically. They, they are trying to find ways to make the airplane experience even worse every moment. That's, that's what they want to do. I mean, this is, now they want to put somebody's ass directly in your face. They figure, I guess, you can't smell the farts well enough on planes already, so they want to fix that problem. And now you'll be able to smell, you know, the guy uh, in front of you who's eating the burrito bowl. You can smell his his lunch on, on both ends, I suppose. It is kind of amazing that the airline industry is the one industry, maybe not the only one, but one of the major ones, where they're constantly thinking of ways to make their services even more miserable and unpleasant. 
And I'll never get over the fact that airplanes have somehow declined in quality over the past 50 years. Okay, how is that possible? How has it gotten worse? How has air travel gotten worse in the last half century? I mean, it's safer, okay? So you're less likely to crash into the side of a mountain, which is nice. That's not nothing. But the trade-off is that you'll want to crash into the side of a mountain because of how terrible the experience is. People 50 years ago, you know, I mean, they would, they, they dress up to get on the planes and it was just nice. They, these, no matter where you sat on the plane, you had a lot of room, a lot of space. They served you full five-course dinners and everything. And they were thinking, based on what air travel is today, they were thinking 50 years from now, we're all going to be flying through the sky at lightning speed in our own personal flying spas with a, with a robot servant waiting on us. But instead, we're packed in like slaves on a galley ship, our faces directly in the firing line of another passenger's butt with three inches of legroom, chained to the seats, forced to flap our arms out the window to keep the plane in the sky. That's what it's like in coach anyway, which is why I just fly first class to avoid all of that. Uh, not to brag, but first class is so much better. That's one of the things in life that's totally worth the investment. So I recommend it for everyone. You know, with the ever-increasing numbers of car makes and models, it's impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or even intimidating questions about the specifications of your vehicle, uh, only to have the counterman order the parts on his computer anyway? First you walk in, the counterman is intimidating you with questions, doesn't even have what you need. You're traumatized, you're sad, you run out in tears, you're shaking. It's ha happening all the time. Every time I go to AutoZone, it happens. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are reliably low and they're the same for everybody. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? No reason to do that. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that I sent you. Let's get to our comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Jerry says, only Matt would title his episode Is Sanity Making a Comeback? And then in the episode, his answer is no. Well, that's... I'm always honest, though. Give me that. JB says, Matt, I have a serious question for you as a supporter. What are, why are uh, humans special? Please answer without any reference to God and without self-referencing humans and the fact that you are one. Why are we objectively special? Okay, well, I don't know if I agree with the uh, parameters you put in place here. I mean, the fact that I'm a human is indeed one of the reasons why I prefer humans because I do prefer my own species. Is that irrational? I mean, I value and pr prefer and protect my own family over other people's families. Is that, what about that? So I would call this kind of sort of uh, species chauvinism completely natural and good and necessary even. And that's even without any objective reason to justify it, but I do have objective reasons. What makes humans special over other species in the known universe? Well, we build uh, civilizations. 
We also destroy them, but we do build them. We have language. Uh, we have art and science and music. We tell stories, right? We're rational creatures, some more than others, but we are, by our nature, rational. We are aware of ourselves and the universe, and uh, we can contemplate what all of this means. So what makes us special? I mean, literally everything about us is special and distinct from all the animal species, would be my answer. Uh, let's see. Taylor says, your wife tweeted that your oldest son had an accident and got stitches. Was she really talking about you, Matt? Be honest. No, not in, the, not in this case. My son did get stitches. Um, a real coming-of-age moment, kind of a rite of passage. And I was kind of proud of him for, for needing stitches. I think that's an important part of boyhood. At some point, you need to get the stitches. So now he's getting a little bit competitive about his injury. And uh, yesterday, he tried to tell me that his injury probably hurt more than when I tore my Achilles. So he's constantly going around bragging now about how bad the injury was and how much it hurts compared to other people's injuries. And I said, no, first of all, mine was worse. And I didn't even cry when I got injured, unlike you. I respond that way to my son because he's nine and I'm seven, apparently. Um, Funk Soul Bubby says, I'm not into my birthday either, but one year I told my mother that it didn't mean anything to me, and she responded, it does to me. So that put it into perspective. That's actually a good point. That is a good perspective. Um, but I think, I'm, I'm glad your mom said that because this, I think I agree that actually the parents are the ones who should get gifts on a kid's birthday. My kids should be giving gifts to me on their birthday. Because, because I'll tell you why. The fact that you survived another year, even if just barely, is my achievement. It's not yours. If I left it up to you, you would have been dead 50 times over. So I, I said yesterday that it's not an achievement to live another year. But when you have little kids, it's, it's an achievement on the part of the parents. So I kind of like that. I don't need to celebrate my own birthday, but I should get to celebrate my kids' birthdays. I, and I'm the one who's, who's celebrated on those birthdays. I like that. Okay. Um, and Prince Vigetta says, hi, Matt. So I noticed you now have 1.1 million subscribers. Congrats, by the way. How soon we sh should we expect the interpretive dance? Be patient, my sweet baby. Be patient. All will be revealed in time. And that's a tease right there. That's what that's called in the business. Over the weekend, swimming's world-governing body voted to ban biological males from competing in women's swimming competitions. We talked about it uh, yesterday. Is sanity finally making a comeback? Well, I already told you the answer is no. But here's the good thing. At least biological reality seems worthy of discussion again, thanks in no small part to my groundbreaking documentary, What is a Woman? It's the most talked-about documentary in America and has now surpassed over 5,000 ratings on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 98. What is a Woman? is also soon to be the best-selling book that you can pick up now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Big things are happening here at The Daily Wire. It's never been a better time to become a member. With your support, we're not only affecting real change in the culture, but creating new alternatives to broken institutions. We're building the future we want to see, and your membership helps us get there all the faster. You can see this uh, in the fact that both What is a Woman and Terror on the Prairie are in the top five most popular movies at home on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Plus, a membership gets you access to our entire library, um, our entire library of content, including What is a Woman, Terror on the Prairie, as well as other documentaries like Choosing Death, The Legacy of Roe, Fauci Unmasked, Ben Shapiro Show Debunked, exclusive articles, and so much more. So head to dailywire.com slash subscribe to join us today. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe right now. 
Now let's get to our daily cancellation. You know, the biggest challenge with today's daily cancellation will be convincing you that I'm not making any of this up. But it shouldn't take much convincing because you ought to know by now that it's impossible to invent a form of leftist insanity that leftists themselves have not already come up with. And even if I did dream up some new brand of lunacy on my own, we could still be sure that some leftist somewhere has already thought of it or will soon think of it. And when they do think of it, they will take this thing that I said as a joke and turn it into their mission and their identity in life. With all that in mind, we head over to UC Irvine and their Women's Center for Success. As their page on UC Irvine's website explains, the Women's Center for Success, quote, advances gender equity by raising consciousness on social justice concepts, fostering personal growth, building community connections, encouraging identity development, and increasing access to resources that support holistic wellness. One important thing to note here is that women's is spelled W-O-M-X-N. Now, as you know, the way to make things inclusive, uh, it's been decided, is to stick a random X into the middle of them. X marks the woke, as pirates used to say. Obviously, you know, if, if you want to make a word inclusive, the best way to do that is to arbitrarily change it so as to make it unpronounceable. That's how you make it inclusive. But is there another more coherent reason to spell women with an X? Well, as Aaron Sabarium, a reporter at the Washington Free Beacon, pointed out on Twitter, UC Irvine has a whole page dedicated to explaining the value of the letter X and also grappling with the challenges that it presents. Um, their page with the heading, Why Women with an X, explains the following, quote, Women is one of a few lexical and social phenomena, including the adoption of X in naming gender nonconforming individuals, gender queer folks, two-spirit people, femmes, transgender folks, and non-binary people. Now, please note that folks is spelled F-O-L-X-S, so that it'd be properly pronounced, I guess, folkses. We have to pronounce words like golem now in the name of inclusion. So it continues. Women, with an X, acknowledges that gender identity exists in a sphere, and one word has room for multiple gender expressions without weighing one more important than the other. In addition, it highlights that more than one gender expression can be impacted by patriarchy, misogyny, and sexism. This term recognizes that in the past, the history of feminism has included racism, transphobia, and harmful gender binary views. All of this is accomplished somehow with the letter X. But is it as simple as that? Can we just plop that X into the middle of a word and then go about our day with peace of mind, confident that everyone has been included? Well, not so fast. Because this actually real page on a real website for a real college university in the United States of America in 2022 continues on for many more paragraphs discussing the importance and implication of the word X when it's pl placed, uh, the letter X rather, when it's placed randomly into words for no discernible reason. And then it gets to the caveats and the exceptions of the potential problems, which are numerous. We're told this. It's important to note that not every single person prefers to use the X. Identity is personal and is influenced by lived experiences. What matters most is that we take into consideration each person's own preferences and respect the ways in which they choose to identify. They could be using the spelling with the X or not, and both preferences are valid. Oh, okay, so you see that um, you can't just spell women with an X. You must first conduct a survey of every single person who might potentially read the word that you're about to write and find out if they prefer it based on their lived experiences to have the X or not have the X. But what happens if some prefer it and some don't prefer it? 
And what if some have other preferences? Maybe there's a person whose lived experience has led them to prefer the, that women is spelled with a Z in place of the X. Maybe somebody's lived experience demands that every letter in the word women is replaced with a series of random symbols and numbers. I, for one, am traumatized if women is not spelled WQ33ZL question mark five exclamation point. If I see it spelled any other way, I'll vomit and cry and immediately stab the nearest person in the throat. I can't be blamed for this. My lived experience is what it is. So does this mean that you simply cannot spell the word or indeed any word at all? As soon as the word exists in one form, spelled one way, then it no longer potentially exists in any other form, spelled any other way, which makes it by its nature non-inclusive. The only truly inclusive word is that which is not written at all. Once it's written, it has taken on a certain form, and if it's in that form, then it can't be in any other form. So best then to avoid writing any words. But will that be enough? No, it turns out. Because even if words are not written, they're still spoken. And that too can be non-inclusive. So going back to this, I must remind you, totally real page on a totally real college's real website, we are told this. Quote, By being still new to the mainstream, there is not one particular pronunciation of this word. Most pronounce it like they are saying women or woman, but spell the singular and plural with the X. However, this raises the question if that actually is truly inclusive. Members of the blind community may be left out if there's no audible way for them to hear this distinction. Others prefer to say it as wiminks or wumaenx or wumux. These ways can bring attention to wimixen when, ta- when talking verbally to someone about and opens up more dialogue about linguistics. Now, um, you might think that the one advantage to being blind is that you're spared this kind of thing. But the uber-woke will not let the visually impaired off the hook so easily. They, too, must be wrapped up in this. They must be given the experience of hearing women pronounced wumaenks. It wouldn't be fair if they were deprived of the opportunity to hear human beings speaking like your GPS when it's trying to pronounce a city with a multisyllabic name. But this raises questions also. Uh, what about deaf people? Yes, they can see the name, but they're not able to hear it being pronounced. And what about people who are both blind and deaf? After all the work that Helen Keller did, how can we exclude members of her community? What about those who are in a coma? What about members of the coma community? The fact is that you, you can't write this word or any word without excluding people. And you can't speak the word or any word without excluding people. In truth, You cannot do, say, or think anything without engaging in ruthless exclusion. Just consider this. Every time you do, say, or think anything at all, you are excluding in that moment all of the things you are not doing, saying, or thinking, and thus all of the people who would prefer it if you were doing, saying, or thinking all of the things that you are not. Does that make sense? To simply exist and go about your day and interact with the world and communicate in any form, and certainly to develop your own unique view of the world and opinion about things, is to exclude. Worse, it is to discriminate. It is to choose in every moment one path instead of any other. Exclusion and discrimination are elemental, inherent aspects of life on planet Earth. So then what should we do? 
Well, I think we have two options. Either we can stop obsessively trying to include everybody all the time in everything and just go about our lives as normal human beings, as human beings always have. Or, in the name of inclusion, we can all launch ourselves collectively into space. Um, Not in a rocket ship, but individually, into space itself, where there is no sound, no light, no gravity, no oxygen, nothing at all but the formless, shapeless, endless abyss into which we can all tumble eternally until we are consumed by it and our bodies are ripped apart by the vacuum and we are all reduced to nothingness. Only then, when we are all nothing and nothing is everything and everything is nothing, only then will everyone truly be included. So that's option B. And I think something we should seriously consider for a number of reasons. But until then, UC Irvine is today, we must say, canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Germany is restarting its coal plants because environmentalism is a big hoax. The Buzz Lightyear movie flops at the box office after a gay toy kiss. And we celebrate on this show not just Juneteenth, but Juneteenth and Juneteenth 1st as well. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Michael Knowles Show.